0: And as you come, if you would open your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. Winston Churchill said, Men occasionally stumble over the truth... But most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing ever happened. I pray that when we come to the ultimate truth of God's Word, we will not be those who pick ourselves off and hurry off as if nothing has ever happened. I pray we'll be those who are are changed by that truth. It is meant to change us, change us. It's meant to renew us, to transform us to leave us different than when it found us. I pray that this verse this morning will do that in our hearts and lives. Let's read together 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. For you. Lord, bless the preaching of your Word. When an army officer is set into his new role after training and evaluation and so forth, we we use a a noble-sounding word. We say he receives his commission. Uh, It means to be given a calling, a a mission from someone of higher authority. It means to have a, a set goal and direction for your duty. You are Commission. You are called and chosen and set in place for a very specific purpose. Well, we have been commissioned to thankfulness. We have been commissioned. And unlike the soldier, it's not because we deserved it through our hard work and determination, but simply because in his mercy, God chose it for us in, in a world that is filled with self-pity And complaining, we have been called to thankfulness in Christ. It's our tradition as a church to seize the last Sunday of the year to study and remind ourselves of this tradition. And and this year it seemed an especially useful tradition. Because 2020 surely stands out as a year that we need to remember our commission to thankfulness. Here, as we stand at the conclusion of this challenging year... And as we anticipate ongoing challenges ahead, we need to call this commission to mind and recommit ourselves to this calling. And here's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to to first spend a few moments studying this verse itself, understanding its meaning, and then I'd like to apply it to this particular moment. Here here, Here we are in December of 2020, heading into 2021. I'd like to apply this and ask, where can we see reason to give gratefulness and thankfulness to God in this particular moment right now, so that we are not those who stumble over truth and walk away unchanged? So let's study the passage first, and then we'll apply it to this particular moment. Now, Paul begins with a command, as he often does, and then proceeds to a call. You see that in the passage. Give thanks in all circumstances. And then the four, here comes the reason, the cause. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks is the command. It is not the generic thanks of the secular world that always strikes me that on Thanksgiving people say, I'm just so thankful. Uh, We're not quite sure who they're thankful to or even why they think giving thanks is a useful thing to do. But this biblical Thanksgiving is returning to God in praise what he has given in grace. It is humbly acknowledging before God our indebtedness to Him, recognizing our need and His incredible generosity. It is pointing out to ourselves and to God and to others the good that we have not deserved but that He has chosen to give. The context of this command is very important. Paul says, "...give thanks in all circumstances." That means Christians are called to give thanks when we see only prosperity and when we experience painful adversity. It means that in every moment we are commissioned to thankfulness. This means that Christians are not called only to avoid complaining. Do you hear what I'm saying there? We are are not called merely, maturity is not reached merely by the avoidance of complaining. or, Or... Merely to aspire to some kind of fatalistic acceptance of life. Well, it's God's will, and I guess we have to accept it as it is. No, we are commissioned to something positive, something proactive. We're commissioned to thankfulness in every moment. In thrilling moments, in disappointing moments, in endless suffering, and in tempting surprises. In the parking lot, in the living room, in the family room, in our inner thoughts, in our spoken responses, in our Christian fellowship and in every conversation. In our hospital beds and our wakeful hours, at our bridal showers and at the graveside service. In all circumstances, we are commissioned to give thanks. In marriage, give thanks. In parenting, give thanks. Thanks In employment, give thanks. In unemployment, give thanks. Husbands should be giving thanks for their wives. Wives should be giving thanks for their husbands. Parents should be giving thanks for their children. Children, you should be giving thanks for your parents. There is no part of our life that God does not want colored by thankfulness. Henry Ward Beecher said, The unthankful heart discovers no mercies, but let the thankful heart sweep through the day, and as the magnet finds the iron, so it will find in every hour some heavenly blessings. This means that to be unthankful is to be disobedient. To be unthankful in any circumstance is in that moment to be disobedient. Disobeying God, to be unfulfilling our commission. Thankfulness is the lifestyle of the godly Christian. Thankfulness is the lifestyle of the godly Christian. And Paul gives the cause for this command. He says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, to know God's will, to know God's will is to have a sobering and precious possession. Our culture loves endless questions without Answers. I remember seeing a billboard that stuck with me, and maybe you've seen it too. It says, it's not about having the right answers. It's about asking the right questions. It might define our culture in a billboard. It's more about asking questions. That's ridiculous. You don't just need questions. You need the right answers. Questions without answers are ultimately hopeless. God has given us his answer to the question, what is the will of God for my life? Well, he has told you. God has told you what the will of God for your life is, and he's put it in plain simple terms so that even in our obtuseness, we're able to understand. It is to be thankful. Give thanks in all circumstances. We belong to our maker. We live in an era of perpetual self-discovery of trying to find out who the true you is, what your true purpose is, what your true calling is. And all of that discovery is is ultimately designed to push people away from objective reality that God has declared over us what His purpose for us is. Listen, if you're 17 and you've bought into the idea that you're supposed to discover the true you, let God contradict that hopeless and fruitless endeavor. Are there some distinctives of your personality? Of course. But is the fundamental calling of your life abundantly clear and direct and straightforward? Yes. What are you called to be? What is the will of God for your life? To be thankful. To be thankful. I remember watching a, a military scene in which an officer, a lieutenant, was accused of disobeying an order from a superior. But he protested. The order had never reached him. I called, said the captain. But our lodging has no telephone, said the lieutenant. I sent a runner, said the captain. But no runner ever reached me, said the lieutenant. The lieutenant was in an impossible situation to be charged for disobedience without ever knowing the will of the commander. Well, God is not so cruel. God gives us Very clear, very direct expression here. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And this will trumps every subjective guidance of God. Yes, might God guide you subjectively into some individual calling or purpose? Of course. But this will is held like a banner over every other subjective guidance. This is the absolute, undeniable, undoubtable will of God for every Christian in every season of life. To be thankful. Be thankful. Let this sink in. This is God's will for your life. God's purpose. God's calling. And this will comes to us in our union with Christ. It comes to us in our union with Christ. This is a reminder of the greatest cause we have for Thanksgiving. That we have been united to God in Christ. That we as sinners have been brought into relationship with God. That we have been reconciled to our maker. That we have been forgiven by our judge. That now we stand in Christ cleansed and forgiven and headed towards heaven. This is the will of God for you who have been brought back to life from the death of sin, who have been brought back into fellowship with God when you are separated from Him, who have been brought back into mercy when before all you had to anticipate was wrath. This is the will of God for you who have been saved and are in Christ. And this provides the explanation For how we can give thanks in all circumstances. Because whatever our circumstances, they are circumstances that do not alter our position in Christ. To be in the Son, to be the recipient of His grace is to be commissioned to gratefulness. In other words, we cannot be a faithful Christian in Christ unless we are defined by thankfulness. We live life in the shadow of His cross and in the light of His resurrection and His future hope. Therefore, every moment of life is a reason for giving thanks. Complaining and grumbling are not just bad personality tendencies that we inherited from our grandmother. They are failures to do God's will. Thankfulness is not just optimism or a cheery disposition or the reason you look like your Aunt Linda. They are fulfilling our commission in Christ. Eric Raymond says one of the chief ways that we demonstrate an unhealthy relationship with God is our lack of gratitude to God and for God. And Kevin Young reminds us of something I'm sure we've all experienced. Think, he says, of the godliest people you know. The saints you most respect. The ones you want to be like when you grow up. The believers you want to emulate and imitate. Almost certainly the people you are thinking of are thankful people. Cynics and critics may be celebrated on social media and on late night television. But they do not make great heroes of the faith. When I read that quote, you know what, I, I thought of Judy Boulay as a, a personal hero of our church. And I thought of her and I thought, I'm not sure I've ever encountered Judy that she hasn't expressed or demonstrated gratefulness just beaming out of her face just a constant sense of awareness of the undeserved grace of God it just beams out of her face it's not because her life has always been easy or is always easy and judy if i'm trust that you're watching this don't be embarrassed we are just grateful for you okay But she is an example to me of of what God is calling us to here, that in every moment, what people should encounter in us is thankfulness. In our conviction, thankfulness that there is grace and the gift of conviction. In our prosperity, thankfulness for the generosity of God. In our adversity, thankfulness for the overruling wisdom of God. In every moment of fellowship, thankfulness that there are people who will welcome us into our lives and in moments of opportunity for evangelism. Thankful that God has given us this honor. Thankful at all seasons and in all times. In the end, it isn't the expressed will of God that you outsmart everybody, that you're wittier than everybody, or that you're the most intellectual, the most knowledgeable of pop culture, or whether you know the latest movie or the next Amazon stock. But it will matter a great deal if you've cultivated a lifestyle of gratefulness because that is the will of God for your life. Now, We must not be like those who stumble over a bit of truth, dust ourselves off, and walk away as if nothing has happened. How can we apply this commission to this moment in this season, December of 2020? What reasons do we have for thankfulness? Well, if we take time, we could list thousands. They are literally Countless, countless reasons, 10,000 times 10,000 reasons to give thanks to God. I'm just going to list 10. 10 reasons, and I'll comment briefly on them. I would encourage you, write them down. Any of these would be worth a morning of devotional meditation. 10 reasons why we can be thankful in December of 2020. Number one, we can be thankful because God has forgiven our 2020 sins. How many sins have you committed in 2020? How many moments of anger, selfishness, indignation, idolatry, lust, craving, Gluttony How many of those moments are present in our record of 2020? In the death of Christ God has forgiven them all He has cast them into the sea of his forgetfulness He has chosen to count them against Christ and not against you You entered this morning, if you are a Christian, you entered this morning as loved by God as if you had been Christ himself obeying every single moment of this last year. You do not head into this next year with the responsibility to atone for your sins, to make up for your sins, or to have a good year in place of the bad year. No, you enter this year covered by the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. What is the chief and first reason we have to be thankful? It's that God in Christ has forgiven our sins of 2020, has given us himself. That we are no longer strangers, but we are sons and daughters. No longer aliens, but brothers of Christ. Our forgiveness in Christ and our reconciliation to God in Him is the foremost reason that we can give thanks Right now, we have accumulated countless reasons when God should have been judging us right now. And instead, we head into a year knowing that God loves us, cares for us, and will watch over us until he brings us into his kingdom. Now, that is a reason in December of 2020 to give thanks to God. God, if we are more aware of our suffering, of our uncertainty, than we are of our sin that has been forgiven, we will inevitably fail to give thanks to God as his due. God has forgiven our sins of 2020. Second reason, God has governed our 2020 suffering by his love. He has governed it by his love. Romans 8, 28, a well-known verse, expresses this succinctly. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. That's true of providential calamities of nature and health. It's true of personal failures. It's even true when people intentionally perpetrate wickedness against us. I'm indebted to my friend Jared Mellinger for finding this quote, referencing the story of Joseph. You know the story of Joseph in the the Bible, in the Old Testament, who had many years, far worse than 2020 has been for us. He was enslaved. He was put in prison, traded by his very own brothers out of jealousy. But at the end of his life, when he's speaking of all of those horrific events, he says this to his brothers. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. D.A. Carson comments on this profound truth in this way. Helps us to think about the so-called catastrophe of 2020. The profundity of this reasoning, Joseph's reasoning, comes into focus as we reflect on what Joseph does not say. He does not say that during a momentary lapse on God's part... Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, but that God, being a superb chess player, turned the game around and in due course made Joseph prime minister of Egypt. Still less does he say that God's intention had been to send Joseph down to Egypt in a well-appointed chariot. But unfortunately, Joseph's brothers rather mucked up the divine plan, forcing God to respond with clever counter moves to bring about his own good purposes. Rather, in one event... The selling of Joseph into slavery. There were two parties with two quite different intentions. On the one hand, Joseph's brothers acted and their intentions were evil. On the other, God acted and his intentions were good. Both acted to bring about this event, but while the evil in it must be traced back to the brothers and no farther, the good in it must be traced back to God. This is a common stance in Scripture. It generates many complex philosophical discussions, but the basic notion is simple. God is sovereign and invariably good. We are morally responsible and frequently evil. Both are true, and I would encourage you, if that's a new concept to you, I would love to talk to you about it. There are many resources that you can read to help you understand and process that, but it is a a very important truth, especially as we process 2020. 2020 was not an accident to God. It was not an unfortunate interruption of his plans. God meant it for good. How that happens is beyond our very limited intellectual capacity, but God intended it for good. Third, in 2020, we can be thankful that God has reminded our world of the curse of death. This is a reason to be thankful, because sin always produces death. Always, It is more certain than gravity. There have been more times in this world that gravity was defied than that sin didn't produce death. Always produces death. And yet our culture, and especially our prosperous Western, Western culture, they're like a child sleepwalking to a cliff. Offended that anyone introduces the concept of death into their lives, even their own mirror. The, The idea of death is offensive to this culture, so they sleepwalk towards death, and it is actually not kind to let them keep going uninterrupted. And so God, in his mercy and kindness, has rattled us and has caused news websites to have death counts, literally, for nine months of the year, accelerating day by day and week by week and month by month. What does that do? Well, at the very least, it reminds us of the reality that death is in this world. And sleepwalking through that reality is not a good, kind thing. It is a horrific, tragic thing especially since there is an alternative. God has reminded us of the curse of death. This is a reason for God's people to give him thanks. All people die. Not all people are aware that death can be escaped by Christ. It is much better to be aware of death and to run to Christ than to ignore death and ignore life. Number four, he's reminded us of the curse of death, but number four, he has also limited the COVID death rate. Here's what I mean by that. I'm not here to create a projection about exactly what the percentage of death and survivability is, but all people agree that vastly more people survive this illness than don't. Has it struck you, even going back to March when this first came to our shores, has it struck you the thought that it is no guarantee that a virus couldn't come in which the numbers could be reversed, in which a small percentage would survive and the majority of percentage would die? If the wages of sin is death, if God told Adam and through him all of his offspring that if you sin, you will die, then it is the limitation of death, not the presence of it, that should surprise us. What should be surprising to us is that somehow in his mercy, there is a virus in this world that though deadly, does not kill most of the people it infects. That is a reason for thankfulness to God. Imagine if you heard, imagine if you heard that a tsunami had hit a a fully occupied hotel building and knocked it all over. And yet, well over 90% of the people in the building survived. What would be the result of finding people here and there swimming? And when the final count came, very few had died. They would be rejoicing. A miracle, they would say. And don't we have the same reason for the same miracle right now? Who is it that decided that there should be sufficient immunity in the world for this virus that most people would survive? Who decided that? Is that human, (laughs) impressive mental focus? Is that positivity? Is that some kind of human stamina Or the indomitable will of the human spirit? Absolutely not. That is the merciful limitation of God of his own curse against sin. I was thinking about this limitation that God actually brings in countless ways in this life. And I was reminded of what he said to Job when he was challenging Job's complaint against his justice. And he says to Job, speaking of the waves of the ocean, it could indeed be dangerous, that God says to the waves, thus far you shall come, and no farther. Here shall your proud waves be stayed. You know, God, to this point in human history, has said that to every disease we've ever experienced, thus far, and no farther. Isn't that a reason to give thanks to God? It doesn't mean we we lessen our grief or our sorrow at death and disease and suffering. Of course we grieve, but we should also remember that apart from the mercy of God, our grief would multiply beyond our imagination. Fifth reason, God in 2020 has provided countless earthly comforts. Countless earthly comforts in this strange year. Have you noticed this? The sun has risen every morning and set every night. The stars have still shone in the sky. Air conditioning and heating services still work. Beds are still comfortable. There has still been harvests of fruit and vegetables. The production of all varieties of good and services has remained intact. And all these blessings, you know where they come from? The Lord. He is the author of every good gift. And a reason to give thanks to Him is all around us. The commission of the Christian is to point out the countless blessings of the Lord overflowing the earth. Our blessings far outnumber our suffering. Sixth reason to give thanks to God in this moment. God has exposed our earthly idols. God has exposed our earthly idols. This year has revealed the vulnerability of earthly security. And if you're like me, it has revealed earthly castles that we run to, sandcastles, for comfort and security. There have been uncertainties about our health Uncertainties about our government, uncertainty about the media, uncertainty about the economy, uncertainty about the culture, uncertainty about the future, even uncertainty about our national stability. And this shaking can be a gift in that it exposes the temporary nature of earthly refuge. Now, none of these things should be the ultimate source of our trust. But if they remain unshaken, we can gladly live in houses built on sand without any concern for the final destruction to come. So God shakes them, and because he's such a merciful father, he shakes them gently, but enough to reveal that they are not built on rock. Psalm 96, 4-5 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples, government, food, media, entertainment, personal finances, jobs, health, all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord has made the heavens. God has exposed our earthly idols. Number 7. God has reminded us of the gift of gathering In a season when social isolation increased, when gatherings were restricted, we had the opportunity to remember what a gift the gathering and community of the church is to the people of God. It's often only, isn't this often the case, when something is threatened that you appreciate what you have. How often is it the case that it is when we lose our job that we look back and think, actually, that was really a blessing it's when the roof leaks that we think, wow, there's been a lot of nights it hasn't leaked. A non leaky roof is a nice thing to have. Well, when we had to confront The risk of our gathering, the challenges to our gathering, I think it reminded us of the preciousness of the need. We were not meant to be alone, to worship alone, to study alone, to grow alone. We were made to be together. And this year has reminded us of the preciousness of that gift. God has not saved isolated Christians and sent them into their loneliness, but he has gathered them together. God has reminded us this year of the gift of gathering. It's a cause for thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, for renewing my love for what I should have been loving all along. Number eight, God has given us a community of love in a year of anger. I've said before, 2020 has been full of self righteous outrage. I put a caption over our culture. Self righteous outrage could be the caption. It's true online, it's true in the streets. Neighbors have turned on one another, even within families. Condemnation has seethed toward those who don't conform to our various preferences of political or cultural views. But God has created a community filled with his spirit and capable by that spirit of bearing the fruit of love now love is a it's an ideal it's a goal of the world but in a in a perfect test of affliction and difficulty they do not have the ability to produce that love they claim to want love but when their idol is threatened that idol can't actually produce love that overcomes their desires not so with the church the church has been filled with the spirit of god and when their idols of selfishness and desire are threatened the spirit of god overpowers those idols and causes them to love all the same and this amazingly, is the community he has placed you in. God has given us a community of love in a year of anger, a community in which fighting for ourselves is not the norm, but rather loving each other is our morality. Love not based on our limited strength, but as a fruit of his own unlimited spirit, which he gives generously to us. Number nine, God has given unity in Christ in a divided year. Mm. Countless divisions threaten our country and one person from another. Even Christians are tempted to unite around preferences or our individual desires. COVID and its aftermath have tempted God's people to bicker and split. But... God has given us a banner that unites us. We are one in Christ. It's not a unity that we create. It's a unity that we apply. We live out the reality that we are actually one in Christ. We are saved by the same Savior. A Christian can't change that union with another Christian no matter how annoyingly different that other Christian happens to be. No matter how ridiculous their political views to us, no matter how absurd their perspective about the medical solutions are to us, no matter how different their cultural commentary is than us, we cannot get away from the stubborn fact that the most important thing about us is the most important thing about them, and that is the same Savior has saved both of us. We have a union in Christ in a divided year. Tenth reason, God has reminded us of the joy of eternal life with him. Do you long for eternity a little more this December than you did last December? Do you see the need for it? This world has shown It's brokenness this year. We have seen the cracks in the foundation, haven't we? The creaking timbers, the groaning floorboards, the chipping paint, the water damage. The evidence of vermin in places they should not be all showing that this world has an expiration date. But God, God, in the midst of this creaking world, has given to his people the promise of a new world. Eternal joy in him. A renewed earth. A new place of residence. In a culture that is desperate to avoid death and is terrified, understandably, of disease. If this creaking house is all you have, of course you are worried to see the shaking of those timbers and the creaking of that foundation and the signs of those vermin running through the house. Of course you are. It's all you have. But the Christian has a home in the heavens, unspoiled, untainted, and kept in heaven for us. We have a home whose foundation cannot be cracked, whose timbers cannot be shaken, whose paint never peels because it's painted with the gold of God's kind goodness to his people. We are those not terrified by death. We do not idolize physical comfort. We need not preserve our physical well-being at all costs. Our greatest days are in the future. Our joy is just in seed form now. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the seed has to die so that the new life can come. We're not surprised by the shaking of this world, the decay of our bodies, the limitations of medical science, the uncertainty of the future. That's what God says is true of this world. And as the shell of this world is cast away, the seed of his new creation will come. We can't rush his timing. We just wait patiently for us. But we know, we know that as this world shakes his home has been prepared our full glory is not now it is to come 10 out of 10000 10 million give thanks in all circumstances is not an impossible task except that it is impossible to thank him enough. It is never the case that we don't have any reason for thankfulness. It is always the case that we have more reasons than we can possibly articulate. Charles Spurgeon said, A child of God should be a visible beatitude for joy and happiness and a living doxology for gratitude and adoration. Now, brothers and sisters, children, husbands, teenagers, parents, those in middle age, seniors, Those physically weak, those physically strong, those with jobs, those without, Christians, let us not stumble over this bit of truth and hurry off unchanged. Let us not despise our commission we are officers of Christ called to offer thankfulness, called to echo his grace with our gratefulness, his gifts with our thanks. Let's pray. Father, I... Lord I confess and acknowledge my frequent thanklessness and even more grieving my complaining and I thank you for your forgiveness and now Lord I pray please Father by your spirit change us increase our thankfulness. Where it is present, cause it to abound more and more. Where it is lacking, reform us. Lord, thank you for the gratefulness that is present in this body. Lord, that is a work of your grace. And Lord, give us more grace. Make us more thankful. May may our lips be filled with your faithfulness. May we say again and again, great is your faithfulness. Here and here, I see it here and again and again. Great is your faithfulness. Receive our thankfulness for all you have done. Cause our lives to beam forth a living doxology of gratefulness and adoration. Cause this to be true of us, Lord Jesus. Cause our church, every member from the least to the oldest, to be grateful. Receive now, Lord, our song testifying to your faithfulness. Receive this as an expression of our gratefulness, Lord Jesus. We sing.